This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. Morning, everyone, and welcome to another Ned Group Investments Insights webinar. Today, we are excited to introduce the new Flexible Income Manager, Philip Liebenberg, who's going to be taking over the reins from Rashad Taub towards the end of this month. And we thought it would be a great opportunity just before the budget speech to catch up with Philip, get his views on some of the market dynamics that are taking place at the moment, and then just discuss about some of the strategies in the Flexible Income Fund that he's seeing which can add value to, to our investors and towards achieving a cash plus return. So that kind of is the purpose of our, of, of our event today. Philip's going to take us through about a 10-minute conversation and presentation. And then we're going to turn over to a Q&A where we'll just basically dissect some of the more, I guess, peripheral areas of the fund and basically touch on how, on how we're going to deliver a risk-adjusted return above, above cash. So I'm going to hand over to Philip now, and he's going to take us through his presentation. Thank you, Philip. Excellent. Thanks, Doug. Morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to talk a bit about the, the SA fixed income market and the flexible income fund. And I thought I'd start off today with just, again, the approach in managing the, the net crew flexible income fund. So I think it's quite important at this point in time to have, you know, given the low money market rate, to have a fund available that's got more, a wider opportunity set. And that's why this morning, I just want to you know, reiterate, so we follow a diversified alpha approach. So we've got quite a few investment opportunities, fixed income investment opportunities and strategies we, we look at. And that'll include, you know, bonds, credit, preference shares, convertible bonds, property, etc. So there's quite a wide opportunity set. And as I mentioned, I think that's quite important at this point in time with, with low money market rates. So I think this diversified approach is, is quite powerful. What I'm going to do now is just take you through a couple of positive and negatives on bonds. I think, you know, bonds are quite, quite topical. They, uh, our 10 year is, is close to 9%. Money market yields are, let's call them ballpark 4%. So let's touch on, on some of those positives and negatives. So in the short term, we've had quite a few positives. You know, we, we rewind three, four, five months ago and there was a lot of doom and gloom. You know, we, we're well aware of the big budget deficits. What we have seen the last couple of months is where tax revenue and tax receipts has actually done a lot better than, than thought. And this was driven mainly by the corporate sector and specifically mining. And there was quite a bit of rebound in mining exports second half of last year. And then you've got commodity prices actually shooting the lights out. So we've got a revenue overrun of, you know, at least 50 a billion rand and, and even a bit more. That means the 2020-21 budget deficit, you know, I think that was penciled in at about ballpark 15. That might actually improve to kind of around about 13% deficit. So that's quite, quite positive. If we look on, on the expenditure side, government has kept to their more or less their MTBPS target. And obviously the, the big elephant in the room would be the public sector wage bill that you know will be concluded and is kind of ongoing i think it's important that you know the savings penciled in that that government can stay to that 
More on the positive side, I touched on the budget def deficit. You can see there how in the MTBPS, you know, with this ballpark minus 15% deficit and how that will now is probably like a 12-13% number. So quite positive. So there's been revisions in the budget deficit, which has been quite positive for us. So these are some of the tailwinds we're having at the moment. And I would like to remind everyone that if you look at the global current setup, you have massive fiscal stimulus, lots of liquidity, and that's driving a lot of what we're seeing in, in asset prices. Maybe we go on to bond issuance. So if you look at the scope that we have, we've got um, revenue actually, you know, overshooting. Bond issuance, there's a possibility that we could cut bond issuance by about 2 billion rand a week. But just look at that graph. It's amazing. I and mean, that's why we are where we are in terms of our debt position. The local bond issuance has more than doubled the last three, four years. And that's really the issue. We need fiscal consolidation. We need our debt to GDP to stabilize. And this is where if we move on to the negatives, our GDP, we on the way to get a debt to GDP of about 95% in 2024, 25. And that's why it's so crucial for us to get some fiscal consolidation, stabilize debt, stabilize our expenditure side. The IMF ballpark, IMF says for emerging market, when your debt to GDP goes beyond 70%, you, you've, you've got an issue. We're on the way to above 90% debt to GDP. Somewhere along the line, that will lead to questions, and let's not go into detail today, but, you know, restructure of our debt and some reforms forced onto us is not impossible down the line. But at the moment, I think we've got a bit of a reprieve. And the next chart is just our debt service cost. I mean, you've got this massive mountain of debt and these debt service costs are just ballooning. So that needs to, to stabilize. Maybe just on the negatives, another one, just the last one. So we've got, you know, we are linked into the global financial system. At the moment, I think we're beneficiaries of that with, you know, commodity prices doing well, risk on trade. But we have seen U.S. treasuries kind of creeping up and down the line, this could unhinge this fantastic rally that we've seen. So this is something to keep in mind. And as we've seen the last week, when global bond yields and treasuries rise, it will have a knock-on effect on our local market. So that's, you know, so I've given you a bit of, I think, short-term, fantastic. We, we've got a short-term get-out-of-jail card. Medium-term, the concerns remain. Let's look at our bond market. You can see there our bond yields are ballpark about 9%. Money market, let's call them 4, repo at 3.5. And that's why people say, why don't you have a lot of more bond exposure? And we don't because of the risk outlined in the previous slides. So for us at this point in time, it's balancing those risk and returns on, on the bond market, where we do have some exposure, but you're not going to have a duration of two or three in a fund because of the risk we've, we've just mentioned to you. But you'd still have bond yields giving you a real return of, you know, four or 5%. Inflation seems like it's under control. Although inflation is beginning, you know, you look at globally, you look at commodity prices, inflation are beginning to be a concern for the market. So it's very much a balance of, of risk and return at this point in time. So I've mentioned commodity prices and we've been a, a benefactor 
locally, you know, when commodities do well, the rand does well. So we, we're thankful for what we have at the moment, these tailwinds. But if you look at the weaker dollar, higher commodity prices, I think inflation and the threat of higher and unexpected inflation is, is real. And that's why we've increased the funds inflation-linked bond component. So we added quite a few inflation-linked bonds when the market was, you know, giving you real yields of three and a half to four percent. At the moment, we're around about two and a half percent, so we won't we won't add at this point in time. But we like the characteristic of this bond where it protects the real value of capital. So I think it's also a fantastic diversifier. So we have some nominal bonds. But we've got inflation-linked bonds, which, like I mentioned, fantastic diversifier in a fund. Maybe just touch on interest rates, because I think most of our audience and clients will be quite interested. If you look at the Saab's quarterly model, you can see there that they're actually seeing rates stabilizing and going up over the medium term. So this is not our view. I think we will probably be see rates actually staying lower, possibly for longer. But I, I think with the current threat of inflation, higher commodity prices, I think the next move in rates will possibly be up. I think the window for cutting rates have probably closed in the last MPC meeting. So yes, that maybe just touch on offshore exposure. If you look at the RAND, so we, this fund, I think, like I said, uh, quite important at this morning time to have the ability to invest, invest offshore. Fantastic diversifier. If you look at the RAND, on a PPP basis, ballpark roughly fairly valued. If you adjust it for our debt dynamics and our fundamentals, we think the RAND is slightly expensive at this point in time. But if you look at the slide next to it, the RAND has staged a fantastic recovery. We were above 19 to the dollar. We've made back most of those losses compared to, to emerging market peers. And yeah, long, long may it last. However, we see the RAND is slightly overvalued at these levels. So maybe just touching with these couple of slides, fund positioning, and this is the fund yield pickup. So you can see there in light blue, the three month JIBA rate, that's quite low. Let's just eyeball it and say it's 4%. The current fund yield is ballpark, you know, 6%. So we're getting quite a nice pickup over money market funds. And as I mentioned previously, I think we have been spoiled in South Africa with high real money market rates. That might be something of the past. I don't think the Saab would run negative real rates, but this high real rate we've been used to, I think might be something of the past. And this is where I think having a fund that can you know, access diversified income opportunities is, is, is quite important in your tool to manage you know, income levels. And uh, we'll just finish off with the fund um, allocation. You can see there, I think diversification is key. We want to analyze and we want to look at opportunities across the income space. And that includes, you know, preference shares, convertible bonds, you know, offshore bonds, floating rate notes, etc. And we've increased our allocation to inflation-linked bonds, as I mentioned. We've also added some interesting convertible bond opportunities to, to the fund. And, and maybe, Doug, we can touch on that a bit later. Just quickly, the fund, we've got a yield of about 5.8%, total duration of 1.6, where 0.7 of that is in SA nominal bonds, 0.5 in inflation-linked bonds. We do a, have an effective offshore exposure of about 9%. So that 
offshore exposure is a nice counterbalance to our local nominal bond exposure. So all, again, a fantastic diversifier. And it also speaks to our view that the RAND is slightly overvalued at these levels. Thank you. I think that's been a, a quick overview. That's brilliant. Thanks for, the- for that. And I guess this next section, I'd like to spend this time just breaking down exactly some of those diversifying effects that we do have in the fund and some of the levers that you can potentially pull. So I think it'd be great if we maybe talk through some of those issues. Obviously, the core holding, as you would have seen on that pie chart, was your was this kind of money market floating rate note. So that's about 40% of the fund. And as we say, that's that has come down over the time and we've seen you starting to increase the increase the duration and you've started to increase some of your exposure to inflation linkers as well. That obviously comes with yield. We've seen the curve there. We've seen that the 10-year yeah. ten ten bond, if you're willing to go up the risk, up the yield curve, you can get great returns. I, I, but that I, comes know, with risks, right? I, so, I, want, I want to add maybe to that. That's <laughs> such a good point because you get the question and at this point in time, you are being, and people say, you know, why can't we get your 8, 9, 10%? Yeah. To get those kind of returns, you, like you say, you're being forced up the risk and the income curve our job is to make sure people get the characteristics of the fund, you know, high capital stability, high levels of income while getting some capital appreciation over time. But at this point, I think one's got to be prudent, but I think expecting, you know, returns of, of 8, 9, 10% is maybe slightly too optimistic. Mm. And I, I do agree with you because if we look at that other, if you look at that 10-year SA government chart, you would have seen that there have been periods over the past few years where the correction in those values, it doesn't happen over the space of two, three months. It happens quickly. And, yeah. and I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you was, how are you guys looking at that risk and what kind of levers are you using in the fund to kind of manage that? You mentioned that you have that offshore exposure, but could you just walk us through that balance? Spot on. I think at this point in time, having... The, you know, if you ask me 10 years ago, you know, is having an offshore component to income fund that important? I would have said it's neither here nor there. I think at this point in time, it's absolutely crucial having an income fund, a flexible income fund, being able to invest offshore. And having that offshore exposure is a natural hedge to, you know, when things go maybe slightly pear-shaped locally on, on the bond market. So having at the moment, we do think the RAND is been a big benefactor of this wave of liquidity and, and higher commodity prices. We think it's on the margin, it's, it's becoming expensive. That's why we've got a 9% effective currency. But it's also partly to hedge against a sudden big sell-off in our, in our local bonds. So yeah. using all the tools available to make sure we manage the risk in, in the portfolio. Yeah, and I think that mitigating factor is important within this fund. The offshore exposure is obviously used for that mitigation, but there are some exciting, when you go offshore, yeah. you obviously need to find opportunities to yeah. generate yield. Yields are extremely low offshore. I mean, yeah. if we think that they're bad in South Africa, at least we're still getting a, some sort of real return. Offshore, you, it's in zero, almost negative. So are you finding some interesting opportunities there? Or are, you, is, are there some strategies that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I can mention two. So having the ability to invest offshore. So if you look at the fund, the actual offshore exposures ballpark 18%. 9% of that's hedged back into, into RANDs. 
why that is important is because we do get offshore opportunities where we can buy, let's call, let's call it a quality local company that issues offshore, you can get a yield of 2 or 3%. When you hedge it back into rands, you can add another 5% on yield. So ballpark, you can get anything between 7 and 8% in rands. If you had to buy that exposure locally, you would get a lot less. So these are some of the levers we pulled to lock in higher uh, yields for, for, for the fund. The other exciting opportunity that we've, we've got some um, offshore convertible bonds. So we do have a small allocation of, of Twitter, which I can mention and mail.ru, where you pick up a convertible bond, maybe giving you a yield of 1%, which is better than zero, one or 2%, and then you get that upside if the equity does well. And in Twitter's case, you know, where we picked it up and now we've actually made quite a bit of, of gain on, on that. That is one area where I think going forward we want to expand a bit more and just just widen the investment universe slightly. Obviously for this fund it will be quite conservative in the way we, we look at these counterparties. And I guess while we're talking about convertible bonds there, we have a 3% allocation locally to convertible bonds and that's yeah. linked to a commodity based company. That's run quite hard. How, what are you thinking about that position? Fantastic story on, on, on that. So we've had, well, more than one of the recent convertible bonds, we added a small position in, in the SAPI convertible bond, but we've had, we've held Royal Buffalo King, which is uh, quite a decent position in the fund. It's done fantastically well. At this point in time for a fund, I think that's, you know, income fund, we are actually decreasing that exposure. We've done fantastically well out of it. At this point in time, we are, you know, reducing exposure to, to this convertible bond. But, you know, that bond has nearly doubled. So it's been a fantastic story. But it shows you, you've got these different levers. And, and part of what we need to do is make sure that we give clients access to this diversified pool of assets. And some of them might be a convertible bond on a Royal Buffalo. And one of the things I spoke to you earlier, because Philip and I have obviously been talking quite a bit about, about the risks in the market, because I think where we are at the moment is, as you said, things have changed. You're not just sitting at the bottom of the yield curve earning this 4% real return. And I guess volatility does come into play. So when you are looking at, 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 at these opportunities, valuation is a key component. But how are you thinking about maybe position sizing and, and that sort of thing? Again, you come back to the fund and being an income fund, I think, what is key is, you know, again, I'll reiterate is you want to look at this universe, but I think being an income fund, your position sizing is important and you don't want to have any, you don't want to have any big exposure to any one counterparty. So for us, I think risk management and position sizing is, is quite important and it will always be, you know, a key input into portfolio construction. So stability income, making sure you, you manage those risks while giving clients the return they, they want. And I guess if we talk about small position sizes, the property part of the portfolio comes to mind. That's below, it's, we, we've sat there for about 2%, 2 and a bit percent now for, for the last couple of years. But within that, the position sizes are quite small. Are you starting to see some green shoots Coming through there, is it still a challenge side of the market? How, how are you thinking about that? I think, Doug, it's 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 challenge. I'll tell you what, what we've done. So we, we put together a basket um, 
Well, firstly, our exposure about two, two and a half percent. What we did is we put in a basket of SA property companies, but the focus on quality. So we made sure low LTVs, strong balance sheet, and some of the more liquid counters. We try and avoid it. You know, we've got one or two companies with stretched balance sheets, which, which we are, we're avoiding. I think there's risk involved, but you always got to ask the question, at what point do you get compensated for the risk mm. you take? And that's where we added risk. Well, too early we did that in the beginning of 2020, but we added another bit of, of exposure in the third, fourth quarter of 2020, which worked out quite nicely. So risk involved in the local property counter, I think there's some headwinds but we, we're comfortable with the exposures we, we have. So we've got a, a nice mix of, of properties and there, there might be, you know, you look at something like Equitus, which is more logistics that's done fantastically well. So we do try and diversify away from just, you know, the, the normal big um, exposures. It's brilliant. Preference shares were a section of the market that drew down quite heavily last year. It didn't rebound like a lot of the other assets. So we saw South African bonds coming back. We saw the convertible coming back. But that's that preference share, the preference share market just seemed to struggle. It's generating a really nice yield. Are you, you know, with the recent announcement around the banks reinstituting or the Saab allowing them to reinstitute their dividends, is that a positive signal? Is that something that could potentially help drive, drive performance? One would hope so. I think that signal was, I think our banks are well capitalized and you know they, they, they're profitable. So I think maybe that signal could be on the margin positive for, for preference shares, but they are yielding 8, 8.5% eight at this point in time, which is fairly attractive. But then you've got to look at where they sit in the capital structure. You know, they're just above equity. So I think that's one of the reasons they, they sold off quite a bit. There was a lot of uncertainty in the midst of the crisis of, of exactly how bad it can get. I think the catalyst for re-rating, difficult to say, maybe actually when rates go up, there might be a, a bit of re-rating possible. But there was also the possibility that the introduction of a higher dividend withholding tax, that could be in the back of people's minds. I think that's one of the reasons the last you know, four or five years that the pressures have been under a bit more, more pressure. But it's a, you know, I think we, we're comfortable, we, we hold the, 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 the big banks Pref shares yield of eight eight and a half percent. So happy, happy with that. We're not going to add at the moment. They're not the most liquid asset out there, but comfortable with the the credit exposure and the yield. Okay, well, I think that's all we have time for today. I'd just like to reiterate just some of the strengths around this fund, and I hope that you guys can walk away with with a view that you know this fund is its objective is to, is to obviously deliver a cash plus return over time, but with a significant focus on capital protection over, over three to six, six month periods. And the way we deploy the strategy is to look, is to construct that core component in money markets, and then look around the peripheries for opportunities to deliver that extra alpha. And, and I hope that, that, that we're able to display and demonstrate that today. We're really excited to have Philip on board with us. It's not every day that you get to sit down and talk to someone with over 20 years experience in the financial market someone who's managed over 40 billion of assets, of fixed income assets, and also has an excellent track record with one of the bigger diversified uh, income funds in the market. Philip's been working really closely with Richard for the last four years now, very much entrenched in the ABAX philosophy, team culture. And so we really see this transition between 
Philip and Rashad has been quite smooth and we hope that this will be a, a leap forward for the fund and, and we look forward to some tremendous success with Philip. Thank you again for joining us. I would like to just point out that there is a QR code that is appearing on your screen, I've been told. If you take your phone, you open your camera and you guide it there, there'll be a link that comes up. If you click on this link, there won't be any surprises. It's just a feedback form that we'd really appreciate if you could fill out. I would also just like to notify you that Nikki Weimer, our, the Nedbank's chief economist, will be joining us on Thursday and she'll be dissecting the budget speech. And so we really look forward to that. It's going to be an excellent presentation. But until then, we hope you have a fantastic rest of the day and we look forward to seeing you and joining you with some more great investment insights in the future. Thank you very much. Negroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Negroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit negroupinvestments.co.za.